0: Ladies, gentlemen, imps in between, welcome one and welcome all to the Arsenal Cannon Podcast extravaganza. This is episode 191. I am your esteemed host, Alfie Cairns-Colshaw. And uh, yeah, we're, we've got a new recording device, so we've got some soundboards, we've got some, uh, I've got a soundboard, we've got some sound bites for you. I- i really i
1: really hope that wasn't picked up i really hope if that has not
2: picked up i'm 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 half convinced i'm half convinced that you've started and the recording's just going to pick up halfway through your intro because you were (laughs) so for reference we're on discord and it's got a little audio clip that goes you have started recording and it played for me about halfway through alfie's speech so i'm just hoping it's better on your end but Anyway. I'm, I'm oh no 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 sure. it was
1: it was definitely before Alfie's on, on my end all right good
2: shout out to across the pond disconnection then
0: well as you can see we're getting used to our new recording device because ZenCast have decided to try and grab our money so we have had to switch platforms and I'm quite excited because it's all different uh and there's endless possibilities we can share screen um and stuff like that but yeah we've got a bot called craig uh, who's helping us record uh this is not anything you'd care about if you're just a listener. You want to hear about a victory over Brentford, a very good victory, which we'll get into. Um of course, joined by, well, you've heard them both, the man with the versatile name, Rob Bob Ber- Bertha, uh, the man I like so like to call Kai Havertz, uh, Roberto. Uh, yeah, I, f- I feel like I've got to do the Danny, Danny intro stuff uh, if I'm going to take his mantle. So, yeah, Roberto, what are you saying?
1: Yeah, I feel like we've just got to get the... The credit to Daniel out the way early, and then uh, as we like to do, we can just forget all about him. Um, but yeah, it's it's nice to be on this on this new platform. Uh, look out for a, a bit of Tom Fallory Foul, here and there with the sounds. And yeah, what well, an honour it is this weekend to be called Kai Havertz. <clears throat> sort of in the midst of being on a call for an hour, working out how to do this, I I, I kind of forgot we were going to do a podcast. But but here we are, and I'm I'm looking forward to talking about Arsenal. As am I, um, and this was this was quite a uh, the scenarios
0: the scenario in which I watched this game was quite unique. I had none of the build up saw none of the disc uh, the discourse around it. I was at work whilst it was happening. I recorded the game and I managed to not hear anything about it at all. I got home from work at two a.m. and watched the entire game uh, until about four a.m. Uh, was, was sort of quietly screaming when that 89th minute winner went in, knowing I couldn't properly scream. I was like, yeah,
1: yes, yes
0: literally. Uh, and yeah, and then I had to get up the next day for work. And I was very nearly ruining my decision to watch a game at 2 a.m. and an entire 90 minutes. Uh, watch a nil-nil, but it made it worth it with that last minute winner. And finally, some gratification for the other host, the celebrity, Mac Johnson, who has been uh, consistently backing his boy, Kai Havertz. Uh, Mac, what are yes you saying? Yes, no.
2: I'm doing all right. You know, I'm, I'm doing excellent, really. I'm having a great time. Uh, I've been calling Kai Havertz's name a lot this fall, and there's some vindication in there for me. Also, Rob, I don't think this is the first time you've been called Kai on a podcast. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure Daniel, Daniel called you Kai in, like, September so oh
1: dear oh dear um, god
2: or the standards the standards are slipping exactly that was and this is no longer um just yeah i i was quite happy with the goal my my circumstances of watching were also (laughs) fuck off (laughs) it's so unfortunate uh my circumstances of watching were also unique um a truly american phenomenon is college football but uh this Week held the biggest game of the college football year. It was college rivalry, so all of the big collegiate rivals play each other. And Ohio State versus Michigan is, like, the big game that always happens every year. And one of my best mates uh, went to Michigan, Michigan fan, their whole family is. we were over there uh, with that game on the big screen and then a second TV that I had requested be brought down to their, like, basement so that we could also watch the Arsenal match. Um, So it was a room full of pandemonium. As Michigan won on a last-second drive, and Arsenal scored on a on a last-minute winner. Um, lot of screaming, lost my voice, I had a blast. Nice one. Uh, where to begin?
0: I guess. Well, before we get into our format, I think the one area so I'm I'm sort of used to having the Twitter discourse. Um, and sort of when the lineup comes out and the chat kicks off and all that stuff and not having it was quite weird. I did hear of the lineup from a co-worker uh, in the pub I work at about an hour before the game when it came out and I've got to say I was quite excited when I saw Trossard left eight, something I've been advocating for for a while. Um, I think there's been no obvious solution in that position and I can see why and how that would work and he had a couple of cameos there last season where he looked quite good. Um, and I was just generally very excited because it's felt like fucking three years since we last played. That was one of the longest international breaks I can remember. Um, yeah, talk to me about that lineup decision and also J- Jorginho coming out, Rice going back to the six. Uh, Jesus back in the side, obviously played 90 minutes for Brazil against Argentina a matter of days ago in a game I watched a bit of. And there was about 58 fouls in about five minutes I watched. Um yeah, Rob, talk to me about anything, anything to do with that lineup and, and how you felt when that first came out.
1: Yeah, it, it was a really exciting lineup. We we haven't seen Havertz in that left eight role really since preseason, and weirdly he he sort of played a lot of football there in in pre-season i think it was probably where he played most of his football um and since the season starts we we haven't seen him there at all we've seen him sort of sparingly up front but but mostly deployed off that left wing um so yeah really refreshing to see him there refreshing to see rice back in his sort of favored six role um but yeah i'd perhaps it, it didn't click as as well as we we might have hoped um i think just having that many attacking players on the pitch you're like odd oh, it's going to be free flowing but i think we we're getting to the point now where perhaps that that free-flowing version of arsenal that we saw so often last season might be a a little bit of a thing of the past especially in these sort of really tough games away from home we, we're clearly as we've spoken about a lot on this podcast uh, we're, we're clearly prioritizing control. Uh, control is something I, I do want to talk about later because some of the uh, other changes that we made, uh, one in particular, I think meant that we, we did lose quite a bit of control in this match. And I think that's going to be a really interesting topic of conversation later on. Um, but overall, it was an exciting lineup. I was really happy to see Rice back in the sixth. I mean, words you you run out of words for Declan Rice at this point don't you he was just absolutely phenomenal and i'm i'm more impressed at with, more than anything Alf with the fact that you managed to do that i think it's something that i've thought about doing like quite frequently recording a game switching anything off but i've never been able to uh, so yeah fair play to you for that it
0: was it was sort of i think it's one of the first games in like 5 years or something that i haven't watched live or something around that including pre-season uh and i was like i don't i i just i still want to watch the game like i don't want to just watch highlights particularly if i'm coming on a podcast i want to know about the game so yeah and i some i actually i remember in 1920 season there was a game at home to brighton uh when we uh Bloomberg was in charge, which I tried to do a similar thing, but then someone ruined the score on the train for me. They just started talking about it next to me on the tube. I was like, for fuck's sake. But yeah, it made uh, finishing a nine-hour shift quite exciting because I had that to look forward to. Um, Mac, anything on the lineup before we get into the classic format?
2: Nah, nothing much additional. Um, I I will say there was a little bit of, I guess, concern from me. only because I have a lot of respect for Brentford, they are, as Sean Dyche would say, they're a good outfit. Um, Uh yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I saw a compilation. He says that about every team in every press conference. Don't you way. mean Philip Senderos? Yes, I do absolutely mean Philip Senderos. Um, but yes. So I, I was, I was waiting for that one. Um, I was a little concerned. I'm not sure if it came through on audio, by the way, because Rob is muted. But there was a little a little bit um and i don't know i don't know if it works we'll see um It'd be really exciting yeah. to edit this yeah. see what actually it's comes right, out exactly it'll be interesting um it could be really weird for the listeners none of these sound bites are actually coming out <laughs> there's just pure so i've told alf to fuck off and he's done absolutely nothing he's just been silent the whole time uh but yeah i would say i was a little concerned about our defensive play only because it was kind of hinting back at early this season where we were kind of playing with Maybe fewer defenders than I would have thought prudent, given like game state and opponent at times. Um, Silibra and Gabrielle, of course, and Tomiassi is always very good. The the exclusion of Ben White, I think, was smart, um, but was just a little bit worried about kind of a very attacking midfield with you know the potential to catch Zinchenko out of position inverting because with Declan Rice at the six. Zinchenko is so key to our ball progression in early stages and to kind of the suffocating portion of our play that a player like Brian Burmo, who has the wonderful ability to stretch space and get in behind and tends to be an issue for a lot of teams that give him space out on his preferred right side, uh, tend to struggle against. So that was my kind of one concern. It was Nice to see that it was not vindicated, even if other concerns took its place during the match, which again, I think is something we're going to get into. Uh, But for the most part, I was just excited to see Trossard at the left eight. Um, And I was also, weirdly, excited to see Havertz get a break um, because it meant Odegaard could come back into the side. You know, we didn't really talk about it, but it is his first match back in a while. And I think Havertz has the ability to provide such a different thing that he's a player who I really am comfortable with coming off the bench in game states where we need a different option or a different look or a different type of target and you know it's poetic in that sense that it ended up being as you know fortuitous with his substitution uh i think when my dad just on that when my dad um when we scored he texted me you know this this game is arteta 1 brentford nil i think he was very quite you know he was happy with the the lineup initially but the way it was managed um most substitutions i think were pretty good i I'm sure we'll get on to Eddie and Katia at some point during this podcast. But yeah, for the most part, I was excited about the lineup. And I think the selection choices that Arteta put forth were very much vindicated. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I actually thought the optics for Havertz weren't great in that. Uh, obviously, we'll get on to him later. But the fact that he didn't start in a game where there was a very clear tactic to play those crosses, particularly towards the back post area we know is supposed to be what he's good at uh, and supposed to be what one of the reasons we bought him, You know the threat he can provide at that back post and aerially in the box. And instead, Trossard, a much shorter player, obviously still decent in the air, was deployed in that position. And then when we were chasing a goal, he wasn't the first player to be called upon um, and he wasn't called upon until the 77th minute. I think the goal now changes things, but we'll get on that. Let's start with the good stuff then. Um, and I'm gonna kick us off with just the result and I think the performance generally have been sort of underappreciated and undervalued because it took so long and there was a bit of a struggle at times in the game. I think people maybe underrate Brentford in a way. Like they've there's three losses in their last 23 home games. They are really good at the GTEch community stadium. Um it's just a very, very well coached side. They've got very good underlying metrics. They press you high. So what was weird is it felt like they were in a very low block the whole game. And then I saw Scott put out a thing. It was the highest defensive line Arsenal faced this season. But I actually think I think what kind of happened is when we had the ball in our own defensive third, they were very high up the pitch, very aggressive in their pressing. And I thought the first 20 minutes were quite bad from us and that we just couldn't escape that press. And we had very little of the ball in the final third. But we sort of worked it out. We found a way to get through them. And I think we sort of ground them down and we finished both halves really well where they were camped in their own box and we you know, we were putting the pressure on. It was pretty relentless. We had all the field tilt, etc. But I just think not many teams are going to come here and get three points. And we did it and we completely suppressed them. Um, yes, they had a couple of chances. They were mostly from our wrongdoing. You know, obviously the the one that was cleared off the line by Rice, obviously a massive error from Aaron Ramsdale, and then the one where Zinchenko clears it off the line, and (laughs) Mope's finish from that cutback. uh, That was Zinchenko, you know, having probably his only bad moment of the game where he gives the ball away uh, deep in our half, and they create that. But otherwise, I think this result generally has been undervalued because it wasn't sparkling. And what I'm going to say about... football I know Daniel in particular has been very frustrated at times and I completely get it because it's not as exciting but I think you can have an issue with our football um, but you can't deny that we're really good we are an excellent football team Um, we're just not fun at all like we aren't an exciting football team anymore and I would like us to be better going forward and I think we will need to become better going forward. I don't think it's sustainable that that our attack is this sort of stifled and sterile for the rest of the season and for us to maintain a title charge. I think it's going to have to get better. But foundations are there and I thought this performance was very mature and we got the three points at a ground, which is difficult. I think people think because we went there and won 3-0 last season that they expected a bit more, but I actually think that game the difference in that game it started quite similarly it was all about control then saliba scores a header from the set piece you know if we get if we score a, a header from a set piece you know 10 minutes into this game maybe we'd have a similar game to that last season but in this game we didn't get that early goal and we had to keep grinding them down and eventually we did and i thought the final sort of 15 minutes were so good and i just felt like we were going to get the goal rob uh give me some good stuff
1: yeah i i want to reiterate what you, what you were would- alluding to about brentford early on in that discussion and i agree they're an excellent team i think you you look up <coughs> sorry excuse me um you look at some of those teams that you might drop team <laughs> if you haven't heard that he's put some weird soundtrack thing but brentford are one of those teams it's one of those fixtures away from home where you're like you can probably compartmentalise dropping a couple of points there. You know, you don't want to lose it, and that's the most important thing on the end of the day. We made sure we didn't lose the game, uh, and it's fantastic that we walked away with three points. But, yeah. It, oh, by it, the it's way, a, none,
0: of, none of the other top six yeah it's a, it, so.
1: it's a really, really tough fixture. Um, so... And I, I do think that game that we played there last year that when we won 3-0 was a bit weird as well. It was just after the queen died and it was played at like midday on a on a, on a Saturday or a Sunday and that that really I'm sure contributed. The
2: queen's death. The queen's death has really thrown Brentford for a loop. No, I mean that's
1: not what I'm getting at. It's more Your about the father. It was keepers. no, I understand. <laughs> it, it was being played at, at midday. Uh, and that's not what Brentford are, are really all about. They're about welcoming a big side uh, for an evening kickoff, and that that that's what they got. They got more of that sort of like party atmosphere, which which they're able to play off really nicely. Um, as for my good stuff, um, again, uh, just the fact that that, w- that we got over the line. But I agree. I, I think there was a lot of control in this display, and I think you can look through the team to a man and don't think you can really say there was like a poor performance there like no one really tore things up but you you think about those players who who maybe you you go into the game and i say poor performance from AOR. like ramsdale was obviously pretty terrible with his feet um but you know aside from him uh i thought tommy asu was was excellent and i i do sometimes wonder when we when we play a bit more of an adventurous left eight maybe he balances us out a little bit better just because White does like to venture forward obviously not all the time he doesn't have to do it but he's more naturally inclined to whereas tommy is a much more sort of reserved option on on that right hand side and that would definitely go into the good stuff category for me his performance i thought he was just very very good on the day um but yeah, I think it's just the way we were able to to ride out that that first twenty, as as you said, Alf, and them really stifle a top side. I mean, apart from that chance that you know we gifted them, uh, they, they they you know that's where most of their XG came from on the day. Uh, they they weren't really able to generate much. And then just the way our centre-backs are able to toy with with attackers of, of such quality. I think M- Mbomo caused more problems than most have this season. But the way that Gabriel and Saliba just relish a, a battle against a player of, like, Mbomo's physical quality, uh, a player who wants to take it to them. And I, I did think Mbomo was really good. And, you know, it's easy to forget that he is a player. He's only, like, 23, 24, like, he, he he's one to like keep an eye on uh, because like left footed player able to play on the right hand side that they're sort of hard to come by in, in, in this day and age and you know Tony takes a lot of the accolades for them when he's available but he's also brilliant Um so you know the, the fact that we were able to keep a player of that quality very quiet Uh and then yeah, I think it, it was just a very stable display as as we've as we've come to become accustomed to. And even though we 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 didn't generate a lot, this was one of those games where I was able to sort of step away and be like, I'm actually o- okay with this. Um, would have been nicer maybe if we put the foot on the gas a bit quicker than we did late on. But it seems we're this eighty five plus minute team specialist these days.
0: Yeah, and I felt like. If we'd had this result a few years ago, there would be like, "Oh, that's a great result for arsenal they've they've ground out a one nil away win at a very tough ground against a very tough team to play against that press you very well, that are very well organized um on a five thirty Saturday kickoff, and they've got the three points um but we've sort of become accustomed to it because we're that good. Like we've, we've had a few of these sort of games this season. You think of Everton away, Palace away, uh, three clean sheets, three very solid performances, absolute total control. And we've nicked the win. And I think maybe kind of like we did in the Bournemouth game, although I think Bournemouth are a level below some of those teams. If we get the earlier goal, it it looks a bit nicer, but, um, we haven't been able to do that so far this season in some of these games um back give me some good stuff before we do some more individual good stuff
2: can do um on i do actually i want to speak on that note and on the note of control uh and and of winning matches in tight margins um there's been a lot of 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 twitter discourse over the past few days since the win really uh because one of our club legends came out with a statement along the lines of unai emery could have won arsenal the premier league kind of in the context of what he's doing with villa and you know i i was gonna save this for later in the podcast but i can't be bothered it's ridiculous it's a stupid take because he was previously the manager of arsenal and you know was fired for the man who has now taken us to the possibility of our second title in two years he also um, somehow 19, managed to yeah.
0: choke the league with psg
2: yeah, it's and he also like, massively
0: yeah. choked up four with us. <laughs> like, like, exactly. It, it's, <laughs> <then> he dramatically <laughs> lost the Europa League final. Uh,
2: yeah, the four nothing to Chelsea is one of the matches that lives most rent free in my memory the one, actually. of just like the shit. Scored a bang. Uh, oh, was it? oh yeah. right, I screamer. Oh, he's absolutely my right. guy. Love him. Um, doesn't he play for Fulham now? Anyway, weird. Regardless, um, I wanted to talk about it from the perspective of the unbeaten run. That we went on under Emery, I think it was what twenty-two matches or something, and a, the second like half of those, pretty much every win was like a one-nil or a two-one. Never they were really never dominant, you know. They were often rather scrappy, some in fact fortuitous, and it was always you know every time He you know, it doesn't five-one but lost the next game, and right. we still conceded. I think it was eighteen shots to that following so, something ridiculous. And, it, well, that's the point, right? It's like, you know, it in some sen- senses, it doesn't matter how you win them, but that is kind of the ultimate tale of this club's revolution, and this is my good stuff, is just that a 1-0 scrappy victory is not let's keep the momentum going. It's we came to a, you know, notorious as we've all said already, I'm not going to try and restate anything, but in terms of the way that we handled ourselves as as a team... And in terms of the way that we're going about this season, I think overarching good stuff, um, unlike last season, we are not fading at the end of games. We are not conceding late goals. We, in fact, are sticking it in and outlasting opponents with stamina and with pressure. We're doing a very good job of controlling games and maintaining games. Last season, we were the quick starters. We scored like we had league highs for goals in the first 15 minutes of both halves, and were among the bottom of the table in the last five to ten minutes of both halves um, in terms of conceding things. And it's really noticeable all of the ways that we've shored things like that up and also just the flexibility that we have. I think when we get into canon concerns, spoiler alert, foreshadowing, um, I'm going to talk about the way in which kind of players in our squad unlock each other because I think so many of, you know, maybe the reason we were not more dominant in this game is we're so used to like Odegaard and Saka and Ben White. Tomiyasu doesn't necessarily work as well in kind of that triple combo because he's a different player. The same with the ways kind of Trossard unlocks Martinelli decently well, but I find that Zinchenko struggles to do so without kind of a more ball-facilitating eight like we had with Granit Xhaka last year, right? It's, It's all, you know, there are different balances in this team. And to say that we've come into a Brentford game And entirely dominated them, a team that's quite hard to dominate, at their own stadium. Um, And, you know, again, the result always looks worse if we don't get the win. But I think you'll find very few people that would say we didn't deserve it on merit. Um, Which for a scrappy Arsenal 1-0 win is not something we've been able to say in the past few seasons at least. Just because we've never really encountered a team that approaches a game state like the one that we just won in and wins. That's never been kind of a part of our mentality or ethos. We've always had that soft underbelly. And it's 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 not there anymore, which is nice.
0: Yeah, and by the way, the end of that unbeaten run, Emery twenty two game unbeaten run was a three two defeat away again against Southampton. That was the first podcast me and Danny did. Um shout out. Anyway. Um yeah, I think it was the fact that <laughs> Rolf's shaking his head. Fuck day just uh i think the fact that we overcame the initial um inability to get through their press and the fact that Ramsdale was looking shaky and then that like the last 15 minutes of that first half it was it was all lost all camped in their half we had a few decent moments Jesus shot blocked um when he probably could have wrapped his foot around it and gone for the other corner on the edge of the box um there was uh the obviously the disallowed goal which by the way can you conclusively say that's offside if you can't say that Anthony Gordon was off conclusively offside? is I don't know. Don't want to complain about an offside too much, but Yeah. Um and it was the same in the second half. Like they the first 15, 20 minutes of the second half was a bit of a meh game. We were struggling to break through their press, and then the last period of the second half was absolutely, you know, all us camped in their half. <laughs> wave after wave of attack, not enough shots still, not enough penetration still, but it looked like we were going to get the goal. And I think when you play like this, utter control, you do wear teams down and you do eventually start finding a few more gaps. And we started to do that near the end of the game. I'll talk about our attack more generally when we get to the canon concerns, but let's do some individual player um, good stuff. I'm going to start with the player I thought was the best player on the pitch and our best player. I know I said earlier he basically he his mistake did lead to one of their only chances uh, in the second half. But Alexander Zinchenko or Alexander Zinchenko was brilliant in this game. And firstly, I want to shout out his defensive work. I think he might uh, be- if, he, if he if
1: he's making up for the error.
0: It doesn't matter too much to me. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Obviously. Brilliant goal line clearance. His defensive work, like I've always said, he is a bad defender, but I think he's improving. And I think some some aspects of his defensive game have always been underrated. He reads aerial, like long diagonal balls to his to his sort of defensive left back area, aerially very well. I think. Um, I think Sometimes. one on one is improving. Sometimes. No, Sorry, I think I... he does. I think he's really what, good yeah. at reading those, and he he's really good in
2: the air like he just when is. we got beat against west ham the kudus goal that was scored is because he entirely loses track of a long yeah. diagonal to his back that's track. true and but that's, that's that's not
0: that like that's one instance i don't think that's an error no. and every weakness i think it's when you've got a direct pacey winger running directly at yeah him. that's where you're you not get wrong beat. but his, his anticipation say... uh at, is really good and yes. i think in this game he was he was good defensively but i also thought it was more about. I, agree. I think. I think like, he's also really team. good at
1: winning the ball like really high up the pitch. I think that's a real yeah, like exactly. quality of his. Like he
0: he enables us to counter press very well because um, he's really good at that that's anticipation. True. It's kind of similar to Jorginho. They know they haven't got the pace to to you know win in a in a you know a straight up run uh, if someone gets in behind them. So they have to anticipate it quickly so they can try and win it early so they don't have to get in a foot race. Um, but also just on the ball, like he was our best player, 16 progressive passes. You know, he was the one who was helping us break that Brentford press and get into the final third. He was creative. Um, really good cross for Trossard in the first half. Just brilliant. I think it's, I think he's responded to being dropped in a couple games. You know, you think of severe away and Newcastle away. Tommy came in at left back and he came in against Burnley, uh, and was excellent, and he came in this game and was excellent, and I think just so underrated by our fan base. We can't we can't play the way we played in this game without him, I don't think. Um yeah. Do
1: you mind do you well, mind if I just like chime in on this one? There's something that I ahead. was like thinking about as well. And it's those those crosses that you touched on there. He's doing them a lot, and he's popping up in that left h- half space a lot, a lot, a lot. And I kind of think now that we don't have and trossard was obviously crossing from that area but you know sometimes we have havertz playing in that role and it's not exactly the sort of cross you'd want him playing i sort of think he's taken up that that onus of of crossing from that area because granite did it a lot funnily enough this game last year he did he did exactly that he crosses it in from for jesus and he tucks away the header really well I do want to say as well that I, I think Jesus should have done better with the header for that was saved for the offside. But I think it's a really interesting little tactical niche that we, we, we're sort of seeing Zinchenko in that space a lot. And he's being trusted to be creative and I think he deserves that trust because I think it's something that since he's come to Arsenal either he's improved on or he's given been given more freedom to do, which is be really creative in the final third rather than just in the, the sort of um second or uh, sort of second third when he's progressing the ball. So yeah, it, it's just a slightly interesting thing that's happening that he's popping up in that space a lot and it, it it's bearing fruit it is. I agree. Yeah,
2: I do, do you um, mind if I also chime in on this? Sorry, yeah guy it's I don't know. It, it it there's something about a left back crossing To the back post over and over again, that for me was kind of my first instant reaction, if you will, was of negativity because I still have unfortunate flashbacks to us relying on Kieran Tierney to kind of pump in cross after cross after cross as a method of creating chances. And there is... What about Sir are only Well, there's attacking well, that, move? That, that, yeah. That's different. He would just driven, run in plot, a straight uh, line topic. and pass it on the ball. Yeah, exactly. It's or Pass it on the ground, sorry. That's all he did. Pass it on the ball. I can't speak sometimes. Um, My point being that I, it, it's, it's it's a, a sight that I kind of er, ordinarily face with a little bit of question, you know, with a few questions. Because I think... Uh, so much of my arsenal-oriented brain over the years has been like, we shouldn't be crossing as much as we cross because we're not creating you know, other sustainable chances, right? We're not doing this, that, or the other thing because we can't get through a low block. And it's all of the arguments that we've used so many times over so many years of being kind of inadequate at the type of football that we want to play that I'm a little bit reticent to kind of have Zinchenko there I think sometimes in in what you might call uh in American sports, we call it garbage time, but it's you know the last kind of ten to fifteen minutes when one team is just like pushing, pushing, pushing all out to try and get a result, and the other is pushing, pushing, pushing to try and stop them as hard as they can, and it's you know a time when chaos occurs it's a time when we've thrived this season, but in a few of the matches where we haven't the the Fulham draw, for example, um Zinchenko popped up in kind of the that left half space and that left wing a lot and put in a bunch of crosses, and... He didn't, and he didn't play for of... most
0: of that game, though. It, just... was
2: it was Kivior. It was Kivior for a while, but I'm, for, I'm yeah. forgetting it, it wasn't he Nelson, came on at some was... point. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It's when he came on, he kind of took the attacking onus, but didn't really do much with it. So, in the past couple of games, I entirely agree with you, uh, both well, both of you, that he's kind of stepped up in those responsibilities, but unlike previous matches, my main point of this entire ramble, is that he's actually starting to find his targets, right? He's actually starting to really gel with the team in the way that he steps up into those positions and finds crosses, and in the ways that we kind of respond to that. Um, I'll also say, Bukayo Osaka is aerially underrated. He's sneaky, very good in the air, and having more crosses to him at the back post is not a bad thing in my estimation. But yeah, that's, my, that's it for Zinchenko. Um, I can give player plaudits if you want me to, but I've talked for a while. Yeah, and
0: I think Zinchenko, Rob mentioned it there with his positioning in the sort of advanced left half spaces. I think the structure of the team in this game was slightly different. It was kind of like a 3 3 4. You had like Tomyasu, Saliba, and Gabriel, and then you had Rice. Zinchenko and Odegaard were the sort of creative players tasked with getting in the, you know, half spaces. And then it was like the front four with Trossard joining jesus up front a lot of the time and getting into the box um and it was quite interesting it will tie into some of my canon concerns when we get there but yeah let's do a couple more player um stuff and the good stuff uh i'll give it to rob first any more players you want to point out
1: uh you know i've i've already spoken about tommy and the centre-backs I've touched on him, but we we might as well talk about him a little bit more because i will never tire of talking about him. I just think Declan Rice was f- monstrous I- in this football match, and you you can talk all you like, and I might even talk about it about him not being quite as assertive in his passing as, as Thomas Partey, maybe not quite as adventurous, but I think you know I, we we're becoming we're beginning to realise now that Arteta is a control freak and having someone who's just going to keep it ticking over is exactly who he wants in that number six role. Um, And whilst there's real value to what Thomas Partey can offer there, I think, you know, in the long term Declan Rice is exactly what Arteta, Arteta wants in that position in terms of his security on the ball. And it was, you know, a, a very secure display for him on the ball. But I do want to just talk about that goal line clearance and the, the, The sheer anticipatory value that Rice adds to this team as a sort of a guy who has grown up playing as a defender but also, you know, now plays in midfield. And, you know, if you can, do go back and watch it. I know it's not the most, you know, elegant football clip from an Arsenal perspective, but the way that Rice, as soon as Ramsdale sort of gives away the ball, the way he Dashes to the goal line is—it's incredible. I mean, I—you i, I you know—it's—it's it's not something Thomas Partey does. It's no way something that Thomas Partey does. He, his instincts are absolutely incredible in that situation, and that—that that keeps the game level. And in in a way, it, it wins us the match. That's you know, so many on so many occasions that results in a goal, and and, and maybe and Burma should. Should square it to whoever was up with him. I, I can't remember now, but
2: it might have been like Saman Godos or someone. I'm not sure. Yeah, if Godos so... was one who originally turned it over. It's one of their well, wasn't it it, it? it
1: it might have been Vissa, but it doesn't really matter. Bumbo would expect to score from that position, but he doesn't because of Declan Rice, and it's just it's some of the best def- defensive play that you you'll see all season. It's genuinely world class. Yeah, and
0: I think. You know that is the sort of moment you pay huge amount of money for because it saves. Like if we go, if we go down there, we've got a massive uphill battle to turn that around. And I've said earlier in the podcast, I think Brentford is a team that are a team that we haven't we haven't really played well against particularly since they've been promoted. I know the three nil, but as I said there, it was it's about getting that early goal and then we just controlled it. We've struggled against them, and if we've gone behind. I think we might have struggled to turn that game around. Um Yeah, I think Rice Rice was brilliant and it was sort of him and Zinchenko carrying us forward as a team because I think some of the deeper players Saliba, Gabriel and Tomiyasu. I know you said you thought Tomiyasu was was excellent Rob. I'll get into it when we talk about the attack, but I thought there were some elements of his game that we we really missed Ben White in this game. Um but it, you know, Rice and Zinchenko had, had all the touches. Uh, Rice and Zinchenko, like, they were miles ahead of everyone else and they they were the ones carrying us forward, dr- Rice driving us forward. There is a, still a pet peeve that I have about Rice uh, on occasions. He does this thing where he's got quite a lot of space in front of him and there's a guy to his left or right, whatever, who he can just play it out to quickly. But he drives into that space and then just knocks it to the side to them. And it's like... Is there much value in that drive or could you just get the ball to them more quickly by playing that pass more directly? Like sometimes the, the drive, you know, takes, you know, it makes the, the uh, op- opposition, you know, it occupies them and you sort of take a player out of the game. But sometimes I feel like it's unnecessary and it's something Partey doesn't do. But that's, you know, that's nitpicking. He was excellent. Uh, brilliant carries, Some really nice passing again. Yeah. I think he was. Those are the standout players, but I do think we have to we have to talk about Kai Havertz as a good stuff. Um, and I'll let Kai Havertz Stan himself. Mac, take it away.
2: It's not even who I was going to mention for my for my for uh, positive things, but I'll talk about him for sure. Um, you were right, Alf, earlier when you mentioned that his introduction was late. Um, not necessarily what you would potentially want. Uh, in terms you said you know you thought his stock was might have fallen slightly because he was introduced later not you know at a time i, mean, I think goal. if he yeah. doesn't
0: score the goal we're talking about the optics right. not looking great for him in terms of the hundred percent I mean. no I,
2: I, and i don't disagree i think we've been although conversations about pecking order with Mikhail arteta i am just kind of at this i'm not ever going to throw up my hands and say i've got no clue but like my level of certainty when it comes to them is kind of just out the window at this point. Like the Ramsdale Raya debate's been pretty well decided at this point. He just prefers Raya. But aside from that, it seems like he's gaining at least a little bit of pragmatism in the way he's been selecting his teams recently. Um especially at the back with you know two pretty much two wide backs to choose from out of a set of three. Um and he's t- been making those decisions correctly. But no, I think Havertz's introduction was great. His cameo is pretty steady. Um, it's not like he did horrendous things and also scored a goal. He completed a majority of his passes. He linked up well. Um, but really, I think he, it, you know, Brentford are a team that are statistically weak at defending the exact play that he is best at, which is, you know, a whipped cross from a left footer to the back post. They've actually conceded a lot of chances this season in from similar scenarios. So... Good introduction and nice to see him actually bury it. Maybe playing at left back is for Germany. You know, for Julian Nagelsmann has given him a better appreciation for what it's like to actually be up near the box. I couldn't tell you. Um, it's it was good to see him tuck it away. Good to see him also take the time to place a header like that low. It's it's really easy to kind of knock one of those directly at the goalkeeper who's sliding over to his post. That's a chance you'll. Often see saved if the header is kind of not directed either directly into the top corner or down into the ground. So good placement puts it under Mark Flecken, who I thought was actually pretty good on the day. I'll be honest. Um, and yeah, it's his celebration was fun. Arteta's jubilation for him. Uh, uh, Flecken point. might have
1: been good on the day, but he had a shocker yeah. for the to the goal, yes. the ghost goal.
2: Absolutely,
1: <laughs> it was terrible. We don't need
2: to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, no, true. Um. anyway he's a downgrade from Raya for sure which I think is probably why we purchased David Raya but yeah um, regardless I would say Havertz's inclusion was meaningful in some ways because of the goal um, and less because of you know what it might represent behind the scenes I think it was a scenario that was very specifically based around one utility that he brings to our team and that he found in a moment and you know I would suggest maybe this is the type of impact that he can have throughout for this team throughout, right? Not always coming off the bench, but just that we're finally starting to see him. We've all been saying he provides a different angle. He can, you know, change the way that we look at things. He gives us different options. We've seen him provide kind of all the soft factors of those and do it really well in the first two phases. But be pretty terrible at it in the box. I'm not going to mince words like he's his finishing has been nothing short of woeful so far this season. And to see him turn that around, at least in one instance, yeah, is promising. So happy for him. And I'll just also shout out the one player I was going to shout out to Gabrielle. William Saliba had another Titanic game. He's just very good at football, really. And I think Gabrielle in some ways gets overshadowed a lot because of how ridiculously talented Saliba is but he has been really consistent the past few weeks and he though he sometimes looks a little hesitant under pressure he's not always the strongest playing the ball um, confidently through the lines I thought that he was very you know just consummately good in this game he did a pretty good job you know in all of his responsibilities no real mistakes no real errors and his physicality, as always, did a great job of limiting Brentford's chances. I really hope y'all can't hear the dogs because they're going crazy. I'm gonna I'm gonna end it and mute up so they don't keep interrupting. But yeah, shut the fuck up. Um, yeah, we could hear the dogs. Uh, yeah,
0: I don't think this was a Saliba game particularly. I, like, I don't think he got like he's normally our metromo- metronome. Metronome. Uh, at the back, you know, his passing is really good. He has all the touches. He completes more passes than anyone else. He was way down in those numbers in this game. And I, uh, Clive, said on Arsenal Vision that generally he doesn't think Saliba returns from international breaks his first game like at his absolute best. And I, I think like there was there wasn't any issues defensively, but I just think on the ball he wasn't but, as.
1: bad. I, I, I mean, that would, that's something that I forgot to mention. I don't think as a team we do like I mean, most. Mean, I, feel I feel like a lot of teams don't. Yeah,
0: but um, yeah, I don't. Yeah, but it's you know it's no, no issue. Um, yeah, on 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 Havertz, this is vindication for Mikel Arteta. This was the blueprint. This is something that we talked about when we signed him. It's something we've talked about all season. He is so good in the air. He is a bit box pres-, pres uh presence. He puts up good shots and XG numbers every season. This is what we wanted from him in this role. We wanted him to break into the box and get on the end of things. And you said there his finishing has been bad this season. I don't even think... I mean, of course, there's been a couple, like, a couple headers he should have done better with. There was the uh, sort of miss shot, um, miss kick against United. But generally, I just don't think he's got the chances. And uh, Adrian Clark did something on on this game for Arsenal. And he, he mentioned that Iavertz has had three headers on goal this season. I, didn't, I don't know if that means on target or generally uh, in, in the Premier League. And I think that speaks volumes. Like We just haven't utilised that tool at all. And I think if we can do that, he could be a real asset for us in this. And finally, we did it. And I think, mentioning that guy, I think we do have to you know, talk about Saka in that. I think he's become this player that can be quiet. And then he provides huge instrumental moments in games, like creating the two best chances of the game. The, the cross for Jesus was really good under pressure, and this one was excellent, the cross for Havertz, and he's got that in him. And it's kind of that Salah thing. Like A lot of the time you watch Salah, he can be kind of quiet, but he his output's excellent, and he creates big chances, and he, he gets big chances. And Saka's developed that really well um, in the last season and a bit. Yeah, I'll let Rob say say something about Saka or Havertz or whatever he wants, uh, and then we'll move on to canon concerns because I do think that's worth mentioning.
1: Yeah, uh, just a really satisfying goal to to watch, as you say, just because it was sort of made in in the transfer market. Um, well, I actually felt we into my, my canon concern a bit weirdly. Um, but yeah, Fand- Saka, the way just turn into this sort of goal contribution machine is is really impressive. I I, I don't think I really remember a, a player being this consistent in terms of goals and assists for Arsenal f- for ages. Like maybe Alexis Sanchez at his absolute peak for us was was returning at a similar rate, but when you can Rely on a player even when he doesn't play well even when the entire team doesn't play well to pull out a moment Just anything in a game um, Yeah, it has so much value to it and uh, yeah, just just very useful that he he produced two brilliant moments and that Even though the first was unfortunately d- Disallowed that he he, he managed to, to produce yet another brilliant moment late in the game Absolutely Um
0: so, my canon concern initially is gonna be I think it's continu well it's gonna be elements of the attack kind of again. I feel like we've said this in most podcasts. Our threat in this game came from crosses entirely like we didn't we didn't create anything else. It was crosses, and we had a few long shots like we weren't playing intricate football into the box, and you know sometimes that has to happen because you're playing it's a low block, they're doubling up on the wingers and i think that they did that excellently like every time Sacco and martinelli had the ball it was two they were up against two players and thomas frank said it uh in his post match interviews he was he said you know that we're playing against two of the best wingers uh in the league two, two really good isolated one on one wingers we had to double up on them to negate their threat and i think that's a bit of a canon concern because teams particularly in the premier league we're not seeing it in the champions league remember the severe game martinelli absolutely roasting severe's right back um, like it was like nine was ten times or something completed take on Wha- Wanlu. <laughs> Wanlu, lu that was it, but in the in the prem teams have clocked onto that, but I think that that's not necessarily <laughs> clap there uh All knowledge, Rob. <laughs> uh that's not necessarily an issue if you can exploit the space that that leaves because that you know it, your opponent has to occupy two players and your white players, but we're not doing that at all. And I think it's up to the eights. And I, I was disappointed with <laughs> okay, oh, uh, we had some uh, technical difficulties. Uh, basically, I had a we we, we
1: we didn't, you did, yeah, yeah.
0: I had a power. Alf, Alfie up. lives um, in so god, um,
2: yeah, we can, we, can, we can cut that out. We can cut that out if you No, I'm not I'm cutting out. I'm not cutting out. Oh, fuck's sake. We continue. Uh... Uh,
0: just know Max gonna get cancelled now. Um, yeah, I was talking about the eights, and yeah, the the, the eights kind of in, were worried me a little bit in this game. I was talking about how we need to exploit the space that is left because the wings are being doubled up on. And I thought Odegaard did better in terms of dropping deep and you know linking the midfield with the attack, the defensive areas to the forward areas. He progressed the ball well, but I think. As I was saying, we created all our threat from crosses, and there was very little intricate play within the box to get us into more dangerous areas that didn't involve putting a cross in. And I think Odegaard's the player who has to take that mantle. He has to try a little bit more, be a little bit more inventive in those areas. And it was quite safe. And although that provided a bit of value, I still want a bit more from him. So I would say that's my main canon concern in terms of the attack. But also I think... Tomiyasu is kind of part of that it's kind of safe and Rob was praising him earlier and I I I do think he was good in some aspects but I also think we miss the overlapping threat um Ben White provides us but yeah uh
2: Mac some canon concerns well it's perfect Alf because mine goes right off the back of yours um and I said earlier I wanted to talk about kind of individual player relationships and specific it's a weird tangent but I want to talk about them as they relate to the wingers in that last season we were kind of used to seeing, you know, a triangle of Jesus Sinchenko, Martinelli on the left or J- sorry, even Jaka if not Sinchenko, typically Jaka, and then a little triangle of Ben White and uh Martin Odegaard and Saka on the right. And I don't know, I think without Ben White's overlapping presence, both Saka and Odegaard struggle. Um, without somebody to kind of play vertical balls with and against and make runs in behind, I think Martinelli struggles. And this is when I, you know, we talked briefly about the double teams earlier and about, there's a, a, an interview recently with Sokka that's been released where he's like, yeah, me and Gabby get double teamed every game. And I go home and study the footage to see what I can do better. And, you know, I love his professionalism. It's, it's an amazing thing to do. It's a, it's, it's very professional. Fuck's sake. I can't think of another word for it, but really, I am kind of struck by how... It's very um, studious. There we go. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm not in dictionary mode today. But yeah, it's it's one of those where I find the best... Actually, I often... think
1: diligent would be the best word. Sorry. Even better. No, you're... <laughs>
2: This is, again, you're taking my job and I respect it. Um, I, I just think that one of the best ways to, in any sport, but especially in football to overwhelm a double team, which, you know, whether it's in a high press or just stepping out to a winger, there is space being vacated by... There's space being vacated by, you know, players making different movements, right? It'll often be a midfielder dropping into the gap to cover or a center back sliding over. There's always a way to exploit two players playing against one with a numerical advantage somewhere else. And I think when we don't have a team that is perfectly used to each other's rotations and balances a la Tomi at, uh right back. Or I think Trossard and Martinelli work really well together when Trossard plays up front uh, because his, deeper, you know, his movement into deep spaces, his drifting wide allows Martinelli to be more flexible and to really kind of take the onus of the attack. I don't think they work as well together when Trossard's in the left half space playing as the pure left eight because um, sometimes he'll drop into those spaces from, you know, the center forward position and the rotations work perfectly. But I think when he kind of picks that as his starting spot, it doesn't always afford Martinelli the same freedoms in terms of spaces to run into, to escape double teams, to find passing angles, to play through, to play, you know, the intricate passing patterns that Alf mentioning. So yeah, to, to to cut this off, I just think those double teams are our biggest obstacle. They're the thing that, prevent us most from creating chances and to really be able to kind of develop more patterns of play to escape in and around them and to exploit the spaces that they you know afford you effectively is something that I think this team can really focus on it's something that I've been frustrated by our lack of ability to do and it filters in with you know our general kind of concerns for this season that have to do especially as Daniel always talks about with things like pace of play. And if we, if we, especially when we've been talking about the wingers looking kind of blunt or a little toothless or, you know, subdued even in occasions. I think it's just because they don't have the space to operate and we need to figure out a system that starts affording it again. Yeah, I'd agree. And something that ties
0: into all of this, for me, and is another kind of concern, is our over-reliance on both those wide players. I think... I, like, I... I think this was a really bad sign for Reece Nelson this game. Like, I just don't think uh, he's not getting any minutes of, of value, and it's clear that Arteta doesn't fully trust him to come on and make an impact in this game. And we've talked numerous occasions about how Trossard is more of an interior player; he's not a touchline winger. He can't play the role in a similar way to Martinelli. So, I think when we don't have Sac, Sa- like when Saka and Martinelli aren't on form or they're both tired, we struggle because. They are so essential to the way we play, and we have absolutely no alternatives. Um, because Trossard isn't the same player. We had to take Martelli off in this game because he was he was you know he was tiring a little bit. Obviously, we spoke about how him and Jesus both played. You know those that massive game against Argentina the other day. Um, you know they were in Brazil like seventy two hours or something mental before this game, maybe a bit longer than that. And we don't have that explosive wide player who can beat a man on the outside or on the inside and get shots off and can operate very wide on the pitch um, outside of Saka and And for me, that's a, a little bit more concerning. And I would, I want us to address that before the centre-forward position personally in the next window, um, particularly if we don't want to trust someone like Reese Nelson or we don't see Emile Smith-Rowe as a wide player anymore. Um, Rob, any more canon concerns before we talk about I think, well, I think there's two things we have to talk about, which is goalkeeping situation and Eddie, briefly. Uh, anything else outside of those two that you want to mention?
1: Yeah, for, for me, it is um, it is going back to to what you spoke about, Alf, in the eight, And I think it's just them needing to offer a bit more variety in, in what they do. Um, I think... We see a lot of variety from the wingers; like they're they're really happy to sort of pop up all over the place. Whereas the eights are pretty like sort of stuck in their interior roles. Um, I I want to see Trussard
0: more. Was was basic was almost a striker in this game. But generally, yeah. I do agree, and particularly Odegaard.
1: Yeah, well, still, my 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 point stands that they're they're very inside, and I think both of them, or both the players, playing in that role. They need to start popping up a, a bit wider to 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 sort of liberate the the wingers a little bit more. I think that's how we could do it. Like, and the thing is, with 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 Erdegaard is that he is definitely a player who needs to add more variety to his game because I feel like him and Saka are sort of just specializing in the same thing at the moment, which is that sort of right half space cross. Saka is. It feels
0: like Odegaard's is more of a switch to the other wing. He's I feel like he could be doing that cross. Okay, but okay, but
1: yeah, 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 I agree. But they're both looking to pass the ball from the same space. I think the, the eights can, can get wider, especially if we've got Saka coming into that role. And I think Saka is absolutely lethal in that role. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's just the positions that the eights are picking up it, with with the freedom that they're gifted with the the sort of lack of, or, you know, just being marked by one player um, as as opposed to two. It, it's just those areas that, that they're hitting. Um, you know, you don't have to have the sort of right back and left back overlapping to have an overlapping option. You can have those, those, those interiors doing it. So, and especially with with trossard in the team i think you've got a real option there if you if you tell jesus to stay central you've got an option to sort of counteract the doubling up by you know basically playing two wide players out there by by having martinelli and and, and trossard combining in, in wide roles and saka's not our only winger who who likes that half space cross as well martinelli does it pretty frequently so. Yeah, just a bit more variety in those wide options, different entrances to the box instead of you know these these crosses from deep. Um, Bring back some of those cutbacks, which were were so lethal last season.
2: Sorry, just
0: was receiving a call. Yeah, I think that's so uh, pertinent with Odegaard that sort of lack of variation in in his positioning and rotations and stuff. I feel like he. I said it earlier, it was kind of like a Rice-Odegaard-Zinchenko, like midfield three. I feel like Odegaard was basically playing as a right-sided Zinchenko in this game. Um, Like, he was not making an effort to get in the box. He wasn't making underlapping or overlapping runs for Saka. He was sort of stationed in that right-off space and... Yeah, it became a bit sterile, and I think if he introduces more varied movements, then we could see a bit more from him. And to be fair to Havertz, when he played in that right eight for the few games before the international break, he was doing a bit more of that. He was rotating a bit with Saka. Saka was coming inside. So maybe we could see a bit more of that from Odegaard. Um, Let's talk about the... I don't think Eddie requires too much talk. I think he was bad off the bench. Um, there was obviously the one really infuriating moment where he takes that oh, shot. Oh,
1: that moment. I,
0: you couldn't get we, away with that. You bend it in the top of... corner. Yeah. Like, if you're going to tamely shoot side-footed at Flecken, then it's just stupid. And it's a, there's a really good opportunity to pass across the box into Saka's stride, but he just doesn't take it. And yeah, and I think he was just bad. But yeah, anything on Nketiah before we talk about goalkeepers...
2: Nothing in particular. Yeah, I don't think we have to delve into it. I would say um, if if you would like to delve into it more, shout out Scott Willis, um, formerly Crab, now Scott J. Willis on Twitter. Uh, Half of Canon Stats. He basically did an article today of should Eddie have passed? Um, His answer being yes. Uh, The chance that he takes is on average a 7% chance of a goal, 95% saveable according to Opta. Um, passing to Saka raises it to about a 20% chance to Odegaard to about a 30% chance of the goal going in. So to have that much of a statistical significance and to take the shot anyway, I don't love the moment. And I think just on Nketiah, we always have struggles about him. Our fan base can't seem to leave him alone when he's not performing. Um I, th- I think he's one of the by far the most kind of demonized and players put on just players put under fire, really, you know, like, he can't seem to do a thing right when he's not performing. And I kind of want people just to lay off for a second in that regard. But in fairness, he comes on for Jesus in a straight swap and does not add anything to the performance. I would not call him a negative presence either. He just isn't. You know, you when you bring a striker off the bench, you expect them to provide something different, have a different impact, do something that you're starting 11, and this goes for any bench player, do something that your starting 11 could not bring to the game that you need in a certain moment, barring injury. And for him to not do that, even with the consistency that he doesn't do that, is, is my little question mark with Eddie Ketsia But that aside, you know, he should have passed. That was really the only yeah. moment of discussion with him. He
0: should have. Let's talk about goalkeepers. Uh, I feel like it's a conversation we have to have. This performance, I think, kind of showed the issue that has been created by having these two goalkeepers. Ramsdale's come in, and he knows this is probably his only opportunity, and to, he has to do something monumental. He has to produce a monumentally good performance to even have a chance of, you know, retaining his place for future games, which he probably knows deep down is not going to happen. Um. We know how little we can see in terms of chances. And I saw earlier, we've conceded the fewest shots on target this season by a long stretch. I think it's 28. So he knows the chances of him, you know, having to pull off some blinding saves and win his position back through that are very low. And in this game, like, can you think of a meaningful savior to make? So he knew there was so much pressure on a the way he like patrolled and controlled his box uh, from Brentford crosses and what he did on the ball. And you could tell he was really thinking about it. And there was so much pressure to impress that it clearly impacted him. That first half is not what we expect from Aaron Ramsey, And it isn't his level. And because he's coming cold, he should have played a game for England at least. I think he could have played a game for Arsenal prior to this international break. He could have thrown him against like Burnley or Sheffield United at home. So he doesn't come into this game cold. You know, he almost costs us that goal. So... I find it hard to talk about Ramsdale's performance because we know that the first half is clearly so soft factor influenced. You know the way he, he approached that first half. Um, you obviously settled into the game. That it kind of feels like it's it's more about the
1: holistic idea of having. Uh, I, 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 I'm going to say that I
0: think.
1: I think that's going to piss Arteta off more than anything, though. I think I think that's Arteta's point in all of this: that Ramsdale is the is the character who lets the soft fa- factors get to him. He's he's an emotional goalkeeper who's not able you, you to. Could
0: say, you could say that David Raya has made you know he's he's been shaky earlier on in games several times this season as well.
1: Yeah, and yeah, he, he and throw
0: into games, but he has,
1: but. But I'm I'm not sure the well, actually, you know what? That's a very valid point that you've made there. Um and I do think that when these keepers come in there's a huge pressure on them to um yeah, just just I think maybe do miraculous things with with the ball at their feet. And I think Raya sort of did when he first came in and then Maybe there was a lot a bit too much talk about it and he started to panic and started to do weird things with the ball at his feet. And there is this thing as well, that it's it's the instruction. I think we've all come to appreciate that now, that these players are being told to do this. They're being told to wait till the final moment to release the ball. But the Ramsell one was was absolutely terrible. Um just like yeah, really, really bad. Um, and then I think you yeah, know, that, that, that bizarre
2: like bounce throw, the, like, the throw so that
1: happened is I well yeah, I think that was also <laughs> indicative of his nerves.
0: On, he played one excellent pass. He did, which which he has yeah. in his locker. But he I could, I, totally I, really, he's really, he was really thinking about it because he needed to impress, and he knew yeah. Yeah. every every moment was going to be overanalyzed because he's got one game. To try and win his position back like he you know he knows unless he's oh, But he, he he
1: he, was never gonna win it back though i think i think that's no, that's the it, problem that's in all of this that's
0: the idea he's, he's gonna have he knows he's getting this opportunity and if he can put in an yeah. absolute blinding performance then maybe there's a slight chance but like that adds so much pressure to every single
1: action it really does and, and once again whenever he's gonna play for us he's gonna be the center of attention and i mean hell he's the
2: center of attention when he's not playing for us too like the the, the narrative fuck them either way it's not gonna stop until he leaves to be honest
1: and i think that's the whole thing about arteta knew as soon as he signed raya that raya was going to be his new number one because any sane person would have been able to tell you that this this was going to be a nightmare that both goalkeepers were going to be under way too much scrutiny for it to work when Arteta was speaking about in the past wanting to make a change in goal, it's because Raya was on the bench. That is why he said that. It's because Ramsdale was doing erratic things, and he wanted to bring Raya on. Um, like Raya has been brought in as the number one. It is as simple as that. And I, I, I said this in the chat earlier, and I'm going to say it again on the podcast because to sort of toot my own horn, I think it's a pretty good point. Raya wanted. Sorry, Mikel Arteta has wanted David Raya all along as his number one since he's been at Arsenal. We've seen the rumors since basically his first summer at the club. It's just such a shame that we had to have such a likable stop stop stopgap option there. That that's the sad thing that that we've all grown to really love Ramsdale and we think he's great, but Arteta stylistically prefers Raya, and we just have to accept that and. It's sad for Ramsdale because he's been a really good servant to him, but like he, he he's not the preferred goalkeeper back there. And and that I don't think that's gonna change. Yeah, I felt sad watching him in that first half
0: because I was like, This is a player who's been so affected by this decision and he knows the pressure's on him and he's probably lost his place, and you could just feel it uh every time he got the ball, and it was a shame to watch. Um yeah. But hopefully, you know we get good money for him, and then he can have a good career elsewhere anything to add mac or we draw this bad boy to a close as mad as daniel vinton would say
2: i'm not sure there's much more i have to be honest um i don't know i think you know he's a bit damned if he do damned if he doesn't but like with the amount that uh, this this goes for any player right with the amount of time that he's spent on the sidelines the amount of matches that he's played for arsenal you know, match fitness is not just a physical state of being where you're at your kind of peak to play at a certain moment. It's also mental. And how many players have we seen come back into the side and not be wholly confident on their first occasion out? And those are typically players who come into the side without three months of speculation as to their future, their existence. They don't have their dads commenting in the media, right? Like everyone. We, loves we, we to spoke make- about
0: how. So, sorry to interject, yeah, we spoke about no, Saliba after, you know, two weeks right. of not playing much football, takes a bit of, t- you know,
2: it wasn't at his absolute best. Yeah. Ramsdale situation's you know, extreme version of that. Exactly, and especially with goalkeeping, where to, if you hear any goalie talk in an interview, it's it's a rhythm position, you know? It's, it's, uh, a lot of goalies will talk about the fact that they would rather have three or four saves to make in a match rather than just like one big chance that comes their way when no other team has anything just because it's easier to kind of get into a rhythm athletically you know that's that's how sports works Um, yeah all
0: about concentration
2: exactly and 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 that's the thing right for a player like Ramsdale who we know is emotional we know plays with his heart on the sleeve but we know is you know prone to erraticism and and lacks of concentration he's when you have a player admitting in an interview that he can't stay concentrated for 90 minutes of a match, like it, I'm not saying that he's not concentrating in the moments that matter, but he's being honest and human, which is not really something we see out of footballers very often. And to an extent that as much as anything has kind of screwed him over in this situation, just because it it, it kind of, it allows rise to all of this questioning and all of this discourse over this, that, or the other thing over choosing a number one over Ramsdale's transfer rooms. It's, it's nothing is, you know, he doesn't live in a bubble. He's on social media. He's getting offers from other clubs actively. We know he's been offered a few, a few deals by uh, teams in the bottom half. There's a lot of interest in him regardless of his station. And I just think it's so difficult to expect him to play without that in mind But he also has to play without any of that in mind in order to play at his best. And I I think that's, that's, that's the ultimate sadness that I feel for him in that regard.
0: Absolutely. Explosive moment. We all agree it's the goal. I mean, what else are you going to pick? I guess you could pick players rushing
2: to Ramsdale at full time. Uh, shows, Or either of the goal line blocks, really.
1: Uh, I, I, I was going to say, it sort of depends for me what Kai Havertz does next week or yeah. in midweek. If he scores again, it's the explosive moment. If he doesn't, it's Rice's goal oh. line clearance, which, like, you know how we get when we concede a goal. It, it keeps us in the game, and we we went on to win it.
0: Yeah. Um. And we've spent this entire podcast, no idea how long it's been now, without mentioning the fact that we are top of the league and back where we belong, which I think has to be the title of this this podcast, Back at the Top. Um, And there's been a lot of, you know, all this narrative about we're not clicking, uh, we're not as good as last season, we're not as exciting. We're top of the Premier League, a third of the way through the season, and we're top of our Champions League group, and we can... We can qualify for the knockout stage of the Champions League with a game to spare on Wednesday. Like, imagine we'd said that a couple of years ago. You know, we're in a brilliant position and we're still yet to fully get to our best in the final third. And I think personnel can help us do that. You know, Jesus wasn't his best in this game. Clearly. You know, it was he was thrown into it. He was thrown into it against Argentina. Thrown into it again today. I think he needs a couple of games to get back to his rhythm. But we saw it in that severe game. He can what he can bring. I'm excited. I think we're in a great position. We've got some good fixtures coming up. Roll on. Let's roll on. Let's let's do it. Let's let's do this as a yeah. But but I think we've st-
1: we we we've still got to ask the question: Are are Spurs on the the verge of an Arsene Wenger esque era? uh is that the sort of managerial tenure that we're going to see at that club i mean it it is an
2: important question as it relates to arsenal it truly is
0: yeah uh loving their downfall um and i think it's going to continue because their depth is genuinely like the team they put out against villa was awful um yeah it's funny. They played Emerson Royale
2: at centre-back.
0: Their centre-back I mean, pairing was Emerson Royale and Ben Davies. <laughs> well,
2: Two legit, I th- their centre-backs are suspended, injured, or Eric Dyer. so there's really not much you can expect out of any of them, but, like, it's rough. It is. Um. Yeah, it's
0: looking good in terms of the Schadenfreude. I know you got the Schadenfreude episode last week. We could, we could do a weekly update of that at the moment because it's, it's looking good united are still terrible. Uh, don't let some results ch- change your mind on that and they will drop off. uh yeah. marketing opportunity of a lifetime. rob.
1: hm <laughs> i've got to think about this one because i don't have anything and you know what i usually do when i when i don't have anything i say i'm going to write this week so
2: keep your eyes peeled people. article
1: on its way. love that.
2: Mac. Uh, I've also got pretty general levels of nothing uh, to talk about, but shout out. Actually, you know what? Random shout out. It's not really a marketing opportunity for me. It's a marketing opportunity for Chelsea's like fifty millionth young defensive midfielder. Um, I haven't forget the name of the kid, but Leslie. There's a hmm. Leslie. Oh, good. No, it's it, neither. It's Gabriel Moscardo. Who is this like young Brazilian kid, he plays for Corinthians, he's 18, and he was apparently linked to Arsenal through Edu and Chelsea have just signed him. And I saw a tweet listing all of the deep lying midfielders they have. I even if they might be a little bit back, um, their management is still an absolute joke. And my 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 uh marketing opportunity is just a little bit more Schadenfreude. Um and, you know, good riddance to any player that would like to go to Chelsea over Arsenal at this current moment. Um, yeah. Thanks, mate. Uh, we love Russia, okay. Um
0: And we'll be back for more podcasts in the future, probably. Um would be pretty sad if this is the last one. Uh, yeah, we'll see you after Lons, hopefully. Uh, yeah. Uh,
2: we need a song, actually. We also have the league. can we uh, can we get whatever I forget what it was, but the Arsenal released their like compil their, their announcement video that we were back from the international break, and it had like a, I think it was like a baby key. Oh and yeah, it, I saw that. It was fire. if we can find that somehow that I don't think sick. I saw it. I don't think I saw this, but I'll oh, try have a look. I have a look, can, have a look on yeah. TikTok. Yeah. I can link That's it good. to you. In the, it's on TikTok. It's on Twitter. It's a good um, song. Yeah. If we can find the song, let's do that. If not, I will we let it all hang because it's my favorite song. But, okay. you know, we'll do that. Right. Bye.
1: Goodbye. Go this, yes. Everybody, 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 everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.